You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Church, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, would you please turn with me to the book of James. Uh, James chapter 1, we're going to hang out in verses 19 through 25 today, and I'd encourage you to open up God's Word and be able to follow along as we walk through this passage together. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, I'd encourage you to take one of those Black Pew Bibles there right in front of you and turn it to page 1011. We've been at page 1011 for the last like four weeks, and we will continue to be there for the next few weeks, but uh, this is where we're going to camp out and, um, and hear from God's Word today. So over the years, followers of Jesus have been called many things. We've been called Christians. Bible thumpers, evangelicals, followers of the way, disciples, fundies, and Jesus people. We can probably add a couple more names to that list, but we'll keep it rated PG because there's still kids here. Um, but one, descri- one description of Christians that has always stuck with me is up here on the screen. People of the book. How many of you guys have ever heard Christians described in that way? People of the book. Good, no one. This is going to be perfect. People of the book actually um, originated from Muslims. When Muslims looked at both Jewish people and followers of Jesus, they noted that they were people of the book. They noted that uh, for, for in, in the case of Jewish people, that they were dedicated to the Old Testament law, the, the, the Torah. And for followers of Jesus, they 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 noted their dedication to both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus and the early church after the fact. And so this name, People of the Book, has been around for centuries. But throughout Christian history, there have been certain small pockets of of believers that have clung to to this name. Uh, Puritans, Quakers, Methodists, and Baptists all have focused upon, at one time in history or another, being known as people of the book. People who were dedicated to the study of God's word, personally, corporately, when they came together to worship, this was the main thing. Uh, Within their families, as they met in small groups, they wanted to make sure that the Bible was the primary focus. But not just the primary focus in study, but also the primary focus in how they lived. Um, they made sure that they just didn't know God's word, but that their lives were shaped by scripture. And as I thought about this, and as I studied the passage today, this one question kept coming to my mind. You know, if people, if the society were were to be polled and asked, what are Christians known for today? You can probably come up with a lot of different things. Christians are probably known for the causes that they're either for or against, right? Right? Some Christians are known for their favorite, their favorite, uh, their favorite pastor or worship leader. Um, some of them may be known for their social media posts uh, and the, the side hustle businesses that they have. Some Christians are known for the essential oils that they use or do not use. And the list can go on and on and on. But I want to ask you guys a question today, and we're going to answer it in the book of James. What would it take for you and I, and us as a church, to be known as people of the book. And in James 1, 19 through 25, James gives us two practical steps 
that you and I can become and be known as people of the book. And you know what? It's not as hard as you think it is. And so this morning, I want to walk you through two things that, the, that James points out that our lives can be shaped by, by Scripture. And they're simply these two things. As people of the book approach God's word humbly and apply God's word um, diligently. People of the book approach God's word humbly and apply it consistently throughout their lives. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig into what James has to say for us today. So Heavenly Father, God, we come to you one more time. We're praising you, God. We've, we've been reminded of some amazing truths this, this morning already in our time of worship. And God, Lord, now as we open up your word and we talk about what your word is and how, how we should approach it and apply it, God, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just allow my words, Lord, to be an encouragement to your people today. And God, in places where I failed to communicate clearly, God, on places where I might miss the mark or the target, God, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would pick up the slack, Lord, there and do what it can only do best, convict hearts and bring about change. So, God, I, we're so thankful for this time. God, guide us through it, Lord. May we meet you today. And I pray all these things in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen. So, church, I want to start off just by reading the first three verses here in the book of James. So James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, going to, going to verse 21. And it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Remember, he's speaking to Christians here. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Church, the first thing that James brings about here again is that people of the book approach God's word humbly. There's a way that we engage with it. In verse, verse 19, James gives us three responses here. It says, let everyone be what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And you probably heard that phrase before, or those three imperatives kind of linked together. But here in James, he's linking it to how we approach God's word. We're going to see that in verse 21. And so James here is saying, when you approach God's word, you need to do these three things. And so I'm going to be very honest with you. James is already assuming a few things. James is already assuming that we value this book, okay? That we, that we make an effort to shape our lives by what is found here. That we prioritize reading and studying God's word. That, that's already a given. And so I'm not going to harp too much on that. I want to show you through, through our time here when you come to God's word, not if, but when you come to God's word, how you should approach it. And so James, James, first thing James says is here, that everyone should be quick to hear. You see, the early church, when the early church got together for worship, not many people had a written copy of God's word. So you, you know what they did? They listened. Someone had a copy of God's word, a part of it, a verse, a segment, a passage, and then they would read it corporately together, and they would listen to it. And so James says the first thing that you and I need to do, we need to be quick to hear. It means that the first, 
when, when something comes up in our lives, the first thing that we should turn to is God's word. And that we should be creating spaces within our lives to listen to God's word. You know, often if I'm taking a phone call, and we have four kids, our house is always crazy. Um, if I'm taking a phone call from someone important, I will walk to another room um, just so that I have some quietness. And I have literally walked through our entire house. Because sometimes, you know, kids, they follow you. And there's, like, there's not many places they won't go. And so I'll, I'll walk upstairs, and I'm trying to talk, and I'm pacing back and forth, and, and, and someone comes up or whatever it may be, so I have to go downstairs into our back room or go outside sometimes just to find a quiet spot to actually listen to the conversation. That's what James is referring to here. Be quick to hear. Have an intent on hearing from God. Create space and margin in your life so that you're able to hear from God. So let everyone be quick to hear. But then he goes on and says, but be slow to speak and slow to anger. This is where the rubber starts beating the road. Because church, I don't know about you, but I will, there have been many times I will read God's word and I'm, I'm, I'm studying it, I'm understanding it, I'm listening. But there's always these two words in the back of my mind. And maybe it's just, just me, but maybe it's you too. The words, but God. And not in a good way, not in like the Ephesians 2, but God, you know, you're dead in, in your trespasses and sin, but God did something. No, it's, but God, I don't believe this to be true today. Or, but God, if I follow these things, my family is going to disown me. But God, this is really good. This was written a long time ago, but society and culture hasn't believed these things for the last 50 years. God, you say your word is, is living and active and, and, and true and perfect, but God, no one lives this way anymore. Is it just me? Do, am I the only one that has those thoughts, or do you guys ever, ever struggle with that as well? But God, yeah. Because there's this tension here between what God's word says and what I believe to be true today. So he says, listen, be slow to speak. It means shut up, stop making excuses, and listen to what God's word says. But God, but God, but God, hush, listen. I have a plan and I have a goal for your life which we're going to get to in a little bit, so be slow to speak. And secondly, he says, but, and be slow to get angry. Because oftentimes that, that dialogue of but God, but God, but God, leads to emotions of anger, leads to emotions of confusion. And you begin to believe that God is unfair, unloving, and unkind. James says, if you're going to approach God's word humbly, you have to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And here's the reason why. James 1.20 says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James is saying the reason why we need to guard against arguing and anger towards God's word is that it will not produce the righteous work and the changed life that God wants for you and for me. Many of us here, whether it's a certain issue, whether it's a certain command, whether it's a, a truth that you're just having a hard time clinging to and actually believing, many of us are in this spot where, God, you say you're good, but you allowed this to happen. God, you say you're going to be with me no matter what, but I feel so alone right now. And 
those feelings of anger and questioning will never produce the righteousness of God that he has for your life. And James encourages us to move past that, to continue to trust, to continue to put down our guard, put down our defenses, and allow God's word to begin working in our hearts. And so, Throughout our time together today, I was, I just planned at first, I was going to walk through um, basically how I do my quiet time, how I spend personal time in God's word, and I just don't have the time to do it this morning. Maybe that's another, for another time, but I do want to give you some questions that as you approach God's word, something that you can use to kind of framework and allow God's word to begin working in your heart. And so I, off of these verses, I want to I want to give you this question to ask. And so if you are, if you're a note taker, I would, I would recommend that, that you write these questions down. And the first question simply is this, asking God, where am I struggling to agree with God? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. But let's be honest, we struggle believing what God's word says. So the first question that we want to, every time we read God's word, is simply ask the question, God, where am I struggling to agree or believe you in? And, and it'll come. There will often be times where you struggle with something there. And so instead of ignoring it, we want to put that out on the table and say, God, I know what your word says, but this is where I'm at. And Lord, I need your help. God, I need, I need your spirit to change my mind. I need a, a fuller vision of you, God, so I can walk past and move past um, this point of tension between, between you and I. And granted, listen, there's always going to be tension there. But following Jesus, there's certain things that we just have to believe. We have to believe that God is good. We have to believe that God is loving. We have to believe that he is kind, that he's a plan for our lives, that salvation is based upon Jesus and not upon ourselves. There are always things that we're going to hold in tension. But this allows us to begin fleshing out and, wor and working through those things ourselves. James continues in verse, verse 21. Okay, if we're supposed to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry, what exactly are we supposed to do then? James 1.21 says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. All you King James people out here, this is where you get that word super, superfluity super, super of wickedness. You know what I'm talking about. I remember... Um, memorizing this verse as a young kid from the King James Version. I can't even say it now. But, uh, but yeah, recognizing it. That's where that verse comes from. But James says here, okay, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. You know what that means? It means let's start doing business with the sins that have overstayed their welcome in our lives. How many of you guys have sins in your life, my life, where I have justified them for way too long? God, I know what your word says. I know that this is bad. I know this is bad for me. I know that this actually goes against what your word says, but, but it's fine. And I'm going to keep it here. It's like that one closet that we all have in our house, right, that we just throw stuff in. And sooner or later, we open that thing up, and everything comes out. That's what James is referring to here. What are the sins in your life that you have ignored for far too long because you haven't really done business with God's word? So he says, therefore, put all those things aside. Let's get down to business. Let's work on changing our lives based upon what God's word says. But then it also says not only this negative thing of putting things away, but it says there's something that we need to receive. 
It says, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That word receive is literally the word welcome. It brings out this, this idea of being, of being hospitable. How many of you guys ever, have ever been over someone's home and you know that they really don't want you there? You guys ever like, had that awkward experience? Yeah, I have. It's weird. Like they, and like, they invite you over. It's not like you just stop by. They're like, oh, like, what are you doing here? Like, no, they invited you in, but you get there and it's like, oh, you're here. Like, I'm still watching TV, just find a seat and whatever. But then, so you have that experience where, you know, like, yeah, I, you're here and I'm kind of glad, but I'm not really, like, welcoming you in. But then you know the difference, though. When you're over someone's home and they want you there, right? Like, they're opening up the door. They're turning off the TV. They're, they're, they're grabbing your coats. They're, they're giving you a hug on the way in, saying, I'm so glad that you're here. When you're in someone's home where, where hospitality is their gift and they want you there, you know it. This is the kind of hospitality that God refers to when he talks about his word. So it's not just, oh yeah, I read this verse in church today or I did this in my devotions. That's kind of nice. It's no, God, thank you for showing me this today. Thank you, God, for, for leading me to this portion of Scripture. Thank you, thank you, God, for revealing this to my heart. I'm welcoming it in. I'm so glad that you showed me that. That's what the word receive with meekness and humility means. Recognizing Psalm 19, that passage we just read this morning. Like God's word, your ways are perfect and good and just. And there's nothing that needs to be added. And by keeping it, your servant, your servant there will be great reward. When we view God's word that way, we receive it into our lives. God's word can do amazing things there. I love the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now again, that word, that phrase, able to save your souls, people a lot of times think, oh, this is salvation. This is like eternal, like heaven and hell stuff. James is already writing to believers here. They've already been saved. And, and, and if you want to look at like a big time frame almost, when we hear the gospel, we have been saved. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. One day, when we, when we end up in heaven, when Jesus returns or we die and go to heaven with the Lord, we, we will be saved from the presence of sin. But here, as we're still living our lives and interacting with God's word, we are being saved. We are being saved from the power of sin. And so as we take God's word, receive it, and welcome it into our lives, allow it to, to take root and grow up, we are able to save our very souls, to save our very lives, and to experience the life that God has for you and wants you to experience here on this earth. So this is literally a matter of life and death, that when we take God's word, welcome it in, and act upon it, our lives can be changed forever. That's the power of God's word, church, that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And there have been moments in my life where I have finally read something, welcomed it in, and said, I'm going to begin applying it and holding on to that truth that God has done amazing things within my life. And it hasn't always been perfect, and I've struggled with receiving God's word at times. But on those brief moments where I've been able to welcome it in and allow it to take deep roots in my life, God's word has done amazing things. 
And around this room, I see, I, I'm seeing friends and family members and, and there's people within our church that have experienced that very same thing. You know why? Because I've saw, I, I, I've noticed how you live beforehand. And I've seen God's word work in your life, and I see the change that has happened. And you are, you are testimonies and, and displays of God's goodness through his word. This is how people change. And so we need to ask ourselves, as we go through scripture, what sinful attitudes or actions do I need to replace with truth? James 1.21 talks about this idea of putting away certain things and grasping certain things and welcoming certain things in. God, every time I read your word, what actions and attitudes do I need to put away? And what truth then do, do, do I need to cling to to help me grow within this area of my life? So what sinful actions and attitudes do I need to replace here? But listen, God doesn't call us just to be scholars of his word. God doesn't call us just to know what it says, read a bunch of books, get get a couple degrees. God wants us to be disciples who are living and following after what his word says, who puts God's word into action. So not only do the people of the book approach God's word humbly, people of the book also apply God's word consistently or diligently. That we not only know what it says, but we then live it out. And this is the hard part. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, James is, this, is telling us not to be deceived into thinking that knowing much about God's word is the same as applying it to our lives. That baby gets it. She knows. Listen, we've been, the, the information age that we live in, right? We can have, we can intake Bible information all day, every day. We have the best preachers and communicators at literally like two buttons. And you, you have access to all of their sermons. We have apps, Bible apps on your phone, where you could pull up any portion of the Bible at any single moment. We have colleges and seminaries where you can go and spend a few years of your life digging into God's word and getting a degree and everything else. But we have been deceived into thinking that knowing stuff about God is the same as actually living and obeying what God's word says. Church, I get it. I was, I'm there. I spent five years of my life getting a master's degree where each and every day I was handling God's word. I was learning to read it in the original languages. I was, I was you know, seven, seven, hours, seven hours a day in, in this book, hearing lectures on how to best communicate it to other people, learning about what it says, learning about the historical background, everything else. And it was during that time where I began to think, I'm a follower of Jesus because I know a lot about this book. Church, that is not true. And it was only until afterwards that God got a hold of my heart and he says, Dave, I don't care so much about how much you know, I care about how you live it out. And I'm not, I'm not trashing my degree, it was a great time, I'm not trashing the school that I went to, but God had to do something in my heart where our character and our obedience has got to at least surpass or equal our knowledge of God's word. 
So it's not about how much you know, it's how much you obey. And James is getting at, don't be deceived that just because you think you know something about the Bible that you have arrived. Some of those guys that I've, I was in class with, some of those professors, some, some of my favorite preachers that I have learned from over the years, I have moral failings now, but you know why? Because their character, their obedience didn't match up with what they knew. And church, let's be doers of the word. Let's be doers instead of just hearing only about it. In James, in verse 23 and 24, he brings this great illustration here. James gives us this picture of the realities of hearing God's word but not applying it to our lives. In verse, verse 23 and 24, it says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he forgets, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James gives this beautiful illustration here, something that we can all, we can all relate to. This idea of looking at yourself in a mirror. This morning, I shaved this morning from my like Sunday tradition. I don't normally shave every day, but I'm shaving and I'm doing my thing, get my hair ready, and I forgot that I'd actually like I miss a huge spot. There's like this ginormous like hair just sticking out of my cheek, and so at that moment I had a I had a choice to make. Am I going to do something about it? I was running a little late, or am I going to am I going to fix it, or am I going to forget about it? Thankfully, I fixed it because it was like really gross. But he's like, they're hearers of the word. They do this. They look intently at God's word. They're 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 studying it. They're reading it. They're spending time in God's word. But you know what they do? They look. They recognize things that need to be done. Their, their hair still needs to be, to be combed. Uh, they, they need to shave. They, they need to brush their teeth, whatever it may be. But they walk away as if nothing ever happened. They forget who they were. Church, so often we have done that same thing with God's word. How often do we come across truths from God's word, yet never apply it to our lives? Or this is a good one. You read something like, man, that, I wish so-and-so could hear that or read that. This is for them. All the time recognizing, listen, no, this is for you. This is for us. How many times do we hear or read God's word and we never do anything with it? God's word tells us that we are blood-bought, loved, the children of God, yet we walk around in defeat, not recognizing what Jesus has done for us or not clinging to those truths. The God word convicts us of sin, yet we continue living as if he never addressed it. God word tells us of our need for continual renewal, to go back to him, yet we never come to the source of living water, as, as, as Jesus talks about in John 3 and 4. God's word tells us that there's forgiveness from our sins, that our guilt and shame can be washed away at the cross, yet we carry that same guilt and shame for years and years and years. Church, this, these verses are not what a believer's life should be like. These verses, this illustration has been true of my life for far too often. And God used this his word this week to remind myself that all right, it's not just enough to listen to God's word or get into it. Let's start doing it. Because otherwise, 
God's word and his goodness reveals things about us, reveals things that need to change, reveals truths and characteristics about God that I need to cling to, uh, convicts me of sin, gives me hope and a purpose in my life. But we got to do something with it. Let's not just walk away as if we've never looked in the mirror in the first place. Now, from a practical level, that comes on Sunday mornings. Listen, this is hard. Like, sometimes I think back to what I preached last week, and I can't remember it. And so I get it for you guys. But how often do we walk away on Sunday and we think, yeah, those are great sermons. Monday comes around, I have no idea. Through Tuesday, Wednesday, I have no idea what, what happened there. Because we don't apply it after the fact. We don't meditate on it. We don't go back to it. Man, there, there are some people here that I appreciate so much because they're, they take notes. They'll go back and listen to the sermon again and again. Some, some of our life group leaders I do this often as they are talking about the sermon in, in a large group, in, in a small group fashion. But let's not just be hearers. Let's be doers here. And James finishes out this portion with this vision of what could be. Join me in just reading verse 25. He says this, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So I want to bring you to one more thing. James here says, listen, to the one who, to the one who looks at God's word humbly, and sees his need to be transformed and perseveres in applying God's truth to every aspect of their lives, he will be blessed in his doing. John chapter 8, verse 31 says, Jesus is saying, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. So he says, so for the person who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Man, that sounds, that's a contradiction. Law means I need to follow something. Law means there's things to be done, but it's described, God's word is described as the law of liberty. That as we read God's word, as we apply it to our lives, this is actually going to set you free. Our culture believes that you, you follow this, you follow God's word, it's going to set you back 300 years. But God's word says this is actually what brings life. That, that knowing and doing and applying it to our lives and shaping our families and changing the way that we work and interact with people and love our spouses, this is what's going to bring freedom into our lives. And he says the one who perseveres in doing it, that he's going to bless you for it. So church, let me encourage you to the one who is continuing to apply God's word even though they doubt it. God says, I'm going to bless you for that. To the one who continues to uphold God's standards, even though our society is quickly moving away from them, God is going to bless you for that. To the person struggling to love and honor their spouse, because it's hard and people sin, but for the, for the person who struggles to love but continues to heed God's word, God says, I'm going to show up some way, somehow, in your marriage. And to the one struggling to see God's hand but is committed to obeying his word, God is going to show up in your life. That's his promise, not mine. 
but it's hard. I think James chooses, chose that word persevere for a reason. When you think of perseverance, you think of a race. You think of a long race. You think of a hard race where you are, man, it's hot outside, and you are running low on water, but you continue to press on toward the mark. He uses that word persevere because you know what? Following God is hard. And choosing to, to apply God's word to our lives is never easy. So he chooses that word persevere. And the, and the last question that I, that I want you to consider as you every time you read God's word simply is this. It says, God, where do I need your help to continue to obey? God, where do I need your help to continue to obey, to continue to persevere? It's tough. But God says you're not in it alone. God doesn't give us just his word as a rule book or a textbook to follow. God gives us his Holy Spirit to walk alongside of us each and every step of the way. Every decision that you make for Jesus in obedience to him, God promises to be right there with you. And so all of this isn't, isn't this thing you do, hard, you do better, you try harder. It's no, you depend on God more to follow what his word has already said. That's where we grow in our relationship with God after the fact. And church, I, just, I want to come back to one more point that, that I simply just missed. One more question that I want you to ask as you're reading scripture. It simply is, how can what I've learned impact how I live? How can what I've learned impact how I live? There's that push toward application. But you know what? It takes work, and we're going to need God's help. But God has called us to do this, and God has promised to bless us in our doing. So I just want to wrap up by reminding you how we become people of the book. People of the book approach God's word humbly. We see the need for it. Um, we are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And we just wrestle with God's word, but we choose to trust it. And we choose to follow what it says. That we get our own hearts um, ready. We get the soil of our hearts ready for the word of God to receive by putting away sin that we already know is there. And that we receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, which is able to change your life. And secondly, we apply God's word diligently. In every aspect and area of our lives, we begin to ask the fact, okay, how do I put this into practice? How would my life be different if I, if I followed this, this command, if I lived by this truth, if I clung to this attribute of God, how would my life be different? Because, church, our lives need to be different. Let's not be like that man who looks in the mirror and walks away forgetting everything. Let's be doers of the word. So I began our time with the question of what it would look like to be the people of the book. And that, that truly is my prayer for you and it is for myself in this church. That we would be known not for our great worship music, not for our posts on social, not on anything else that we're selling. May we be known for one and one thing. That we are people of God's word. Whose lives are shaped by scripture. That our families that are centered on what this word says, that our ministries continue to go back, is that God's word is the primary focus, that our outreach, the thing, the message that we're giving our community is this and this alone. May we be people of the book. By, by, 
by God's grace, let's be doers of the word and not hearers only. Let's be known as those people. Let me pray for you guys. I'm going to invite the praise team up. We're going to sing one more more song before we close up here. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we, your word is so rich and so deep, and we could have gone in so many other directions here today, but God, I pray, Lord, that one and one thing was clear, that your word is true and necessary and worth following, God, and it is a gift from you to us, Lord, and that we would treat it that way, that that we would make time for it, God. Lord, that your word leads to life, that your word leads to eternal life, the message of Jesus, him coming, dying on the cross in our place for our sins and rising again, God, but your word brings life even now as we choose to follow after it. So, God, I, I pray for our people just as I prayed over my own heart this week. God, that we would prioritize your word. And God, Lord, if people are struggling and wrestling with the truth this morning, that they are afraid to take that step in in obeying, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give them hope and confidence today and courage to follow through with what your your word says, God. To, to, To that dad here today, God, who is struggling with what it would look like to lead his family, in approaching and applying your word, God, give him strength and confidence, Lord, to step out in faith and do it. God, for that mom who is struggling, God, with maybe self-worth or whatever it may be, that their their lives are not what they thought it was going to be, Father God, I pray, Lord, that they would find hope, God, that they have the opportunity to instill and implant the word of God into our next generation, and we're so thankful for them. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us not only ears to hear your word, but the courage, God, to go out and do it today. Lord, may you work in the only way that only your word can. And I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.